Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. 
There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match, which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Two more murders, 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. Can someone who has killed once really live a life where they never get that urge again? On January 3rd, 1971, a young boy killed for the very first time. A boy who, as far as everyone knew, went on to live the rest of his life on the straight and narrow. That was until he was found at the scene of a double slaying that made police wonder if he really spent the last three decades innocently living out his life. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Charlie Brandt, born Carl Brandt on February 23, 1957, was the second child born to two German immigrants who, after initially settling in Texas, moved to Connecticut to raise their family. Because of their father's job as a laborer for International Harvester, the family had to relocate a number of times, which resulted in Charlie and his older sister Angela attending several different schools throughout their educational lives. Charlie, who was described as an overall good student, was a shy young man who seemed to experience difficulty adjusting to his new surroundings. But by September of 1968, the family had settled down for a bit in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where Charlie, along with his father, began small game hunting. Things seemed to be going well for the Brandt family. But all of that would change in an instant when a quiet evening home turned into a deadly family annihilation. On January 3rd, 1971, after the rest of the family had retired for the evening, Herbert Brandt stood in front of his bathroom mirror shaving while his wife, Eelzy, eight months pregnant, was lying in the bath relaxing. As far as they knew, Angela and Charlie were fast asleep in their beds. That's when a small figure came into the room and shot both parents point blank with Herbert's handgun before turning the corner and heading into Angela's room and attempting to do the same. Fortunately, for one reason or another, the gun failed to go off and the young girl was spared. She immediately jumped into action and wrestled the firearm from her 13-year-old brother and calmed him down with promises to help him figure out what to do next. Standing there in what Angela would later call a trance-like state, Charlie told her he could not remember what he had just done. She eventually convinced him to join her upstairs to get some blankets for their unharmed infant sisters before slipping out of the home and bolting towards the nearest neighbor. Pursuing his terrified sister, Charlie managed to get to the door, banged on it until there was an answer, and told the 16-year-old girl who answered, I just shot my mom and dad. Ilse and the unborn child were killed upon impact, but Herbert, who somehow managed to survive, identified his teenage son as his attempted murderer. In the custody of police, young Charlie claimed the shooting was a product of a, quote, combination of things, and said, 
Everything sort of snapped in my mind. I felt like I never felt before. He also alluded to a catalyst that may have taken place near the end of the family's annual Christmas vacation to Florida, where Herbert shot and killed the family dog while the pair were out hunting. Three psychiatric evaluations later, no one could quite pinpoint what happened to make the boy, barely a teenager, attempt and succeed in killing his family members, with one doctor saying, quote, Basically, I was looking for mental illness, and he wasn't showing the signs and symptoms of serious mental illness, which I thought was what the court wanted to know. Because he was too young to be tried as an adult, Charlie, who was described as a mama's boy and the last on earth anyone would suspect of a crime, instead spent one year at a psychiatric hospital and was then released back into the custody of his family in June of 1972. The family, who packed up and moved to Ormond Beach, Florida after his release, never spoke of the incident ever again. And until the year 2004, Charlie's two younger sisters, the babies, believed their mother had been killed in a car accident. Angela, who was 15 at the time, had to live with that knowledge with just her father and Charlie knowing the real truth. About a year after relocating to Florida to start over, Herbert, who had since remarried, took the younger children and moved back to Indiana, leaving Charlie and Angela in the care of their grandparents. Charlie, just as before, seemed to thrive in school, and in 1984 received a degree in electronics and became a radar specialist for Ford Aerospace. A few years later, he married his girlfriend, Teresa Terry Helfrich, in a ceremony attended by none of his relatives. Angela and her husband Jim, at the time, advised Charlie to tell Terry about what happened with his mother, but it was unclear if he ever took their advice. Charlie, the shy and quiet man, well-balanced by his much more carefree wife, settled in the Florida Keys in 1989, where friends described the inseparable pair as the perfect couple, with one friend, Melanie Fetcher, lamenting, If my husband could love me one-third the amount that Charlie loved Terry, I'd be the luckiest woman in the whole world. A pair who never fought, never so much as bickered, and made each other's lunches because it, quote, tasted better when it was made by one who loved you. On September 2nd, 2004, Charlie and Terry were forced to evacuate their home to avoid Hurricane Ivan and went to stay with their niece, Michelle Lynn Jones, as a result. Michelle, who lived near Orlando, willingly offered the couple refuge from the storm. Throughout their visit, Michelle kept in constant contact with her mother, Mary Lou, and a number of her friends. Contact that, in the middle of an oncoming hurricane, abruptly stopped after speaking with a friend on September 13th and telling her not to come and visit. She said Charlie and Terry, the perfect couple, were in the middle of a pretty vicious fight after a night of drinking and thought it would be best if her guest rescheduled her visit. On September 15th, after two days of not contacting any of her friends or family, a woman named Debbie Knight went over to Michelle's house to go check on her. On the phone with Mary Lou as she approached the house, Debbie, finding the front doors locked, swung around the side garage and tried to let herself into the house. When she did, she found the decomposing body of 47-year-old Charlie Brandt hanging from the rafters in what appeared to be an act of suicide. She immediately called the police, and upon entering the home, 
They found the bodies of Terry Brandt, stabbed several times and laying on the couch, and 37-year-old Michelle Jones, stabbed once in the chest, decapitated, both breasts and one leg cut from her body, disemboweled, heart and organs removed and lying next to her own severed head in the bedroom. Both killed by Michelle's own kitchen knives. Even the most seasoned responding officers commented on the gruesome scene, describing not just the brutality of the women's injuries, but the state of Charlie's body, which sat in a sweltering garage for days before being found. There was no indication of a fight or a struggle, and as far as police and evidence could tell, Charlie, 33 years after murdering his mother, killed his wife and niece before taking his own life. Sitting in the hallway of the home were Charlie and Terry's bags, meaning they intended on leaving the day after the drunken fight that likely led to the murder's suicide. One of the investigators commented the following, There was no reason for them to stay behind. The hurricane had passed, so he chose to stay for a reason. I think that was because he knew what he was going to do. In trying to understand how the perfect couple ended up with such a tragic ending, the police contacted the only person who knew Charlie and knew him well, his sister and former victim, Angela. Angela, who, during a briefing with the rest of the family, not only shocked police, but everyone in the room with her long-held family secret about what Charlie did when he was just 13 years old, a secret that she and her father kept for the last three decades. Now, while the case of Terry Brandt and Michelle Jones was officially closed, there was never any doubt who killed them, Charlie's sordid past and the brutality of the crimes he had just committed led police to look at some of the cold cases on the off chance that Charlie Brandt might have connected to them in some way, not believing that he went 33 years without ever killing again. A search at his home uncovered an extensive collection of surgery-themed books, posters and clippings, and regularly searched online forums that included autopsy photos and pornography involving violence towards women. They also found a monthly subscription, in Charlie's name, to Victoria's Secret, with family members testifying that Charlie, for as long as he had been in the family, had always referred to Michelle as Victoria's Secret an odd nickname coming from an uncle by marriage that led police to surmise that Charlie was, for a lack of a better word, obsessed with his niece. Something that may give more motive to his brutal treatment of her body. With a more clear look at his MO, police started looking into their cold cases and, sure enough, found about 26 others that could potentially be linked to Charlie Brandt. They included the 1978 abduction of 12-year-old Carol Sullivan in Volusia County, where, at the time, a 20-year-old Charlie Brandt was living, a girl whose skull was found in a bucket shortly thereafter. The December 1988 murder of 20-year-old Lisa Saunders, who was found beaten, stabbed, and dragged from her car in Big Pine Key, the 1989 murder of 28-year-old Sherry Parisho, who was found partially clothed on July 16th near the North Pine Channel Bridge in Big Pine Key with her throat slashed and nearly severed, body extensively mutilated, and her heart removed. A body that was found just a thousand feet from where Charlie lived at the time. Police, given these facts, the fact that Charlie matched the composite sketch, and that Terry had confided in her brother-in-law that she suspected Charlie was involved, officially closed Sherry's case on May 6th, 
2006. And finally, the murder of 38-year-old Darlene Toller, who was found with a missing head and a heart wrapped up in plastic near the highway in Miami. A highway well-traveled by Charlie Brandt, who was in the area the day of her murder. At minimum, police are almost positive he killed at least two more times, in addition to that of his mother, sibling, wife, and niece. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to where a terrible thing happened on January 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>